0: You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. I don't know if there's any fellow screen. People, I don't do well at the sight of blood or uh, dealing with injuries and wounds and things like that. I have passed out, I think, more than once, uh, just getting blood drawn, things like that. I do not do well uh, with them, and I mention that because I was very nervous uh, when our oldest son was about to be born uh, that I was not going to make it, like through the delivery part, at least to witness it and to see it. Uh, But by God's grace, I was. I was able to stay on my feet and to, uh, I mean, my part in that whole process is nothing uh, compared to my wives, be honest. But uh, I was able to endure it and to uh, witness it. And I I say that, that is the most amazing thing I've ever witnessed in my life. uh, To see a child be born, Uh, to get to see that a few times even has been an immense privilege that I can't really put into words. It's an awe-inspiring thing. It's an amazing thing uh, to witness and uh, feels almost supernatural, definitely surreal, kind of indescribable to see a physical life begin. Um, But the text we're going to look at today, whether we realize it or not, is going to talk about uh, an experience uh, of spiritual birth that far surpasses physical birth. Like when it comes to the amazing nature of it, the miraculous nature of it, the awe that it should bring about in our hearts and in our souls. And we often don't think of it that way. We hear terms like what we're going to see in this text about being born again, having spiritual life, and we just kind of think of it as a natural occurring thing. Um, But it is not. Uh, And it's something that should inspire awe in us and wonder in us. Uh, And so we're going to read this text today where Jesus himself teaches us, where he taught a man named Nicodemus about this spiritual birth, this being born again. And we're going to see a few things about it, uh, its relevance to us as people either who have experienced it or not, and as people who are hopefully wanting to see other people experience this. And so this is, we're going to kind of fly over this. We will not have time to get into all the details of it. Uh, we get a few weeks to go through this chapter of the Bible, so uh, we'll go a little slower in the weeks to come. Uh, this is one of the best chapters in all of the Bible, in my opinion, uh, if I could He's so bold as to pick that, uh, although all of it is inspired and profitable and good for us. But uh, I'm going to start reading this. We're going to read up through verse 15 of John chapter 3. So you can follow along if you have a copy of the word. It might sound a little bit different in your translation, um, but that is okay. It'll be the the same story. If not, if you don't have a copy, you can just listen uh, and follow along. So this is going to be a story about Jesus and him speaking to a man named Nicodemus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is a wonderful... Wonderful passage. Um, I want to make sure that we kind of know in general what's happening, and then drop into a few points to see some specifics of, of what I think John was recording for us, and what the Spirit would want to say to us today through this. But this story is taking place very early on in the ministry of Jesus. Still, we've been in the first couple chapters of John, where we start to see glimpses of what Jesus did right early on in his ministry. Think miracles he started doing, uh, things he started saying. Last week we even looked; he had just we're coming right off the heels in what we read today of him going to Jerusalem at Passover time and putting himself on the map by flipping over those tables and clearing out the temple. He, he started to become more prominent, but it's still really early on in his ministry where people are figuring out who he is, what he's about, what he's emphasizing. And uh, this man, Nicodemus, comes to him to have a conversation with him. Uh, we learn a little bit about him through the rest of this book of john this record of jesus's life but even in this passage we read you can see a couple things about this guy and what what he was like why he may have even been coming to jesus you see like in verse one it says that it calls john called him a ruler of the jews and uh so he was part of this this ruling class that was there in jerusalem amongst the jewish people he was said to be a, a ruler of the jews but if you drop down to verse ten. If you notice this, you also picked up that he was a teacher of the Jewish people. Uh, Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel at that time. And so he had a very prominent place as a teacher, even called the teacher of Israel and, and God's people there around Jerusalem. And so this is the man who then comes to Jesus. This, this upstart man, as far as the world can gather, uh, who, who's getting a following. This is Nicodemus who comes to him. And he comes at least willing to call him rabbi. Did you catch that in verse 2? So he respects him. He's intrigued by Jesus at minimum. Even though he is the teacher of Israel, he calls Jesus rabbi. And you see sort of his mindset in verse 2 that nicodemus seems to have some confidence that jesus is from god in some capacity he says look i I, we we can tell god is with you in some way like he may not have been at that wedding where jesus turned water into wine but he probably certainly heard about it uh, and had had started to hear about these signs that jesus was doing he's intrigued he's like man there is no denying something divine is going on with that the Lord is with you and present with you, Jesus. But he wants to ask him some questions. And you can tell he's a little bit embarrassed maybe to come and talk to Jesus because verse 2 says that he came to Jesus by night. And so this would have been um, maybe something still early on in the ministry of Jesus where Nicodemus is intrigued, but he doesn't want other people to know he's intrigued yet. And so he comes to him in the dark of night before streetlights and security cameras and whatnot. So so people might not know that he's coming to talk to Jesus would be my guess of why he came at night. But he comes and he wants to have a conversation with Jesus. And we're going to see in this text, even though he's the teacher of Israel, In this conversation, he's mostly just asking questions. And Jesus is going to teach him. Jesus is going to direct him and challenge him and open his eyes to see some things about himself and about the universe that maybe he has not thought about. And so Jesus cuts straight to the chase, doesn't he, in, this, in verse 3. Nicodemus comes to him, verse 2, and says, Hey, we know God's with you. And then we probably don't have literally every sentence of this conversation because it probably took like three minutes to read. I'm guessing it was a bit more long, but John is boiling it down for us. But regardless, we see Jesus just cuts right to the chase uh, and anticipates questions, anticipates what might be on Nicodemus' mind. And he jumps right to this uh, topic in verse 3 about being born again. That's what he spends the next numerous verses, uh, the, no, the next minutes and time with Nicodemus talking about is being born again. And so that's what I want to talk about a little bit today is, is being born again. And so I want to break it down into four statements to help us understand what Jesus is talking about and its relevance for us. And the first way, the, the way I would summarize it actually is this, is to be part of God's eternal kingdom, you must be born again. That is very clear in this text. If you want to be part of God's eternal kingdom, you must be born again. And I would say the first statement this way is to think about what must be done in us. What must be done in us. That's what Jesus is first describing. He, he knows there's this longing in Nicodemus to be part of the kingdom of God. You see that phrase, kingdom of God, in verse 3? And in verse 5, and with both statements, Jesus says, if you want to see that kingdom of God, like that that kingdom he's going to set up that lasts forever, if you even want to see it or enter it, there's something that has to take place in you. There's something that has to be true of you if you're going to get into this kingdom of God. There's something that must be done in you. I mean, all of us are familiar with this, right? Like from when we were little kids and we had some little club and you got to know some secret knock sequence or like a handshake or you got when you get older, you have to have taken certain classes to take other classes or to get a certain job, you have to have certain years of experience or degrees like we're familiar with this idea, right? That something has to have been true in you before you're allowed to come into a certain group or a certain place and Jesus is saying to be part of this eternal kingdom of God, you must be born again. That is what has to take place in you. That you must be born again. Ver- uh, he uses it, different phrases. Like verse three, he says, "Be born again." Verse six, he talks about being born of water and the Spirit. Uh, verse six, he talks about being he just says being born of the Spirit. And some people try to think those are different things, that they're different little nuances. But I think Jesus is just describing in a couple different ways the same thing that has to take place in a person and that is that they need to be given spiritual life by the holy spirit and that is not something we are born into the world with he talks about how we're born of the flesh did you see that in verse six that every one of you news alert has been born physically okay we have all been born of the flesh but he says that there is something that we, we have to be born of the Spirit. There's a second birth that has to take place in us where the Holy Spirit gives us life, not just physically like we already have in Sharon, but he gives us life spiritually. And that's not something that we're born with. We are actually born spiritually dead as human beings. And we have to have spiritual life given to us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, and it is true of all of us. There is not a person in this room, including myself or you, who does not need this change, does not need to be born again every single one. He's cutting Nicodemus down this way, right? Because Nicodemus seems shocked, like what are you talking about? I have to be born again or that we need to be born again. He's, it seems like Nicodemus just assumed he's part of it, that he's going to be part of this kingdom because he's a teacher, for goodness sake, of God's people. And he seemed to assume, hey, I, I'm going into this kingdom. God's going to set it up. I'll be part of it but jesus is saying no you nicodemus and you all of you including me have to be born of the holy spirit you have to have the spirit work this spiritual change in you and breathe life into you if you're going to be part of the kingdom of god Back in, I think Jesus is alluding to some texts that Nicodemus would have been very familiar with uh, from the book of Ezekiel back in the Old Testament. There would have been scriptures that this teacher of Israel would have been teaching the people. You can read them sometime, Ezekiel 36 and Ezekiel 37. God had talked about how he was going to sprinkle uh, his people with water to cleanse them. And how he was going to take a heart of stone, like a dead heart inside them, and he was going to give them a heart of flesh. And he he imagined this valley of skeletons and of dry bones that the Holy Spirit was going to come and breathe upon and raise up and make alive again. And there there are these pictures, even in the Old Testament, that he's saying, you should know this stuff, Nicodemus. Like God has said, he's going to do this. and that this must happen in people, that they're dead, but they need to be made alive. But Nicodemus had not seen that. But Jesus is saying that change, that giving of spiritual life has to take place in every single one of us, including you. If you're to be part of this eternal kingdom of God, including me, that this must take place. So that's what must be done in us, is that we have to be given a spiritual life. But the second thing I would say that we see from this text and the analogy that Jesus uses of being born is what can't be done by us. So there's this thing, this amazing thing that has to happen in us, that has to be done in us, of be, being given a new heart, being given spiritual life. But it can't be done by us. Like, think of this analogy he's using of birth, okay? None of you, before you were conceived, were sitting up in heaven somewhere telling God, like, oh, I think it's about time for me to be born. Like, can I enter into this family? Can I enter into this place? You did not exist. Like, the fact of your existence as a person is in no ways dependent upon you, you didn't bring it about. Something else happened that brought you about. And when it came time for you to be born, you didn't bring that process about either. It's not like you knew how to be born and how to initiate that process. Your mother, every single one of you, or doctors, if there's been new advances with C-sections, you were delivered by someone else. Your life began because of the actions of someone else. And the same is true to a greater measure when Jesus is talking about this spiritual birth that has to take place in you. That's not something that you can manufacture. It's not something that you can just decide, oh, it's time for me to be spiritually born. Wake up, soul. Like, you cannot do that. Like, you, if you are to be born again, if this thing is going to take place in you that Jesus says must take place in you, it's going to be done by the Holy Spirit, not by you. That's what he talks about when he's talking about the wind. And he says, like, the wind blows where it wishes. And he says, the Spirit works that way. Like he is the one who breathes life into people. He is the one who gives life to your soul if it has happened. It is not something that you just whip up in yourselves. I I like using fans like at night to sleep. And we've gotten spoiled when it comes to breezes and whatnot. We can just flip switches and turn settings and have it oscillate or not oscillate. And like we're used to manufacturing wind. But when it comes to spiritual life and the need for life to be breathed into you, there's no switch for you to flip. There's no settings for you to determine, this is when my life is starting. If that happens in you, it is because of the Spirit's work. It is because of the work of God in your heart that He chooses when to give life. And this this can be paralyzing to us if we start to think, there is this miraculous change that needs to take place in me. This thing that needs to be done in me. That I need to be given spiritual life. And I cannot do it. Jesus says that must take place to enter the kingdom of God. And the very next body is saying, you can't do it. You cannot bring it about. And if we were to stop there, that could be paralyzing to think we're doomed. Like, I, I need this to take place, and I cannot bring it about. It's a little bit of what Andrew was talking about. Saying, man, I'm told to do certain things, and I can't do it. That is the good place to be. That's where Jesus wanted Nicodemus to be. That's where he wants you to be, to realize you need to be born again, and you can't do it. And that's where he points us ahead then at the end of this text, not just to what must be done in us and what can't be done by us, but third, I would say this, he points Nicodemus and he points us, and this is wonderful news, to what has been done for us has been done for us. We're skipping over a lot of things. I totally realize this. But if you jump down to verses 14 and 15, Jesus starts to give a glimpse into how in the world can this happen. If you're saying, I need to be born again, but I can't do it. It has to be the Spirit's work in me. How is that going to happen? What's going to bring that about? And he references in verses 14 and 15 a story, again, Nicodemus would have been very familiar with. One he probably would have often taught people as he taught through the Old Testament. That's what we call it. They wouldn't have called it that. Uh, But he refers back to this story about a serpent and Moses lifting it up. And Pastor Nate mentioned this. uh, It's from Numbers chapter 21. If you'd like to read that later. We don't have time to read it now. But there's this story from back in the ancient times, even for these folks, when God's people had been rescued from Egypt. They had been miraculously rescued. And they're out in this wilderness awaiting time to go into the land that God had promised them. And they start complaining. They start grumbling and, and bemoaning their situation again. And God, as a, as a disciplinary act, starts to send what's called these fiery serpents into their camp who come and start biting the people, biting at their feet. And they have this venom within them that is leading to the death of people in the camp. And they're crying out to Moses and saying, please do something. Like, God, please. Like, we're sorry that we did this. Please do something to stop these serpents, to stop this death from coming to us. And it's an odd story, but what God tells Moses to do is he tells him to craft this, serpent uh, out of bronze and to, to lift it up like on a stake and to hold it up high in a sense so that all the people in the camp, if they've been bitten and if they're facing death and it's looming, he says, let them look at that serpent that's been lifted up so that they might be healed. And that's what takes place. They make this serpent and they lift it up. And as people look at this serpent, death goes away from them and life is given back. And Jesus is saying, hey, that story, Nicodemus, that you've taught people many times, he's saying there's going to be a better fulfillment of it. There's going to be a bigger and better version of that story. And he says, just like that serpent was lifted up, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And that's a reference to himself very clearly. He's saying that someday, it's just a couple years from what we read now, he's saying, I'm going to be lifted up. And he says, when people believe in me, they will receive eternal life. That life that needs to come to them, that's how it's going to come. is when I've been lifted up and when they look to me. And when he talks about this being lifted up, our minds might just instantly go, and this is a right instinct, and it's partially right, to think about the cross. That's part of what Jesus is anticipating and talking about. saying, Just like that serpent was lifted up on a pole, quite literally a couple years from now, I'm going to be lifted up upon a cross. I'm going to take the sins of others. I'm going to take their sinful uh, nature. I'm going to take their sinful actions. I'm going to take that upon myself. And I am going to be put to death. I'm going to be crushed upon that cross. I bear all the weight of God's judgment for the sins of other people. And I'm going to be put to death so that they might be forgiven. They might have that removed from their record. And he's certainly talking about that, saying, hey, I'm going to be lifted up on this cross, Nicodemus, so that sin might be removed from other people and put on me. But John, when he... As we'll see this a few times as we go through the Gospel of John. When he talks about Jesus and him talking about being lifted up, he's talking about more than the cross, too. He's talking about that a couple days later... That Jesus would be lifted up again, this time from a a tomb, this time from a a laid down, wrapped position of death. He's going to be raised up again. And then he was going to be raised up and ascend to be with God the Father where he is right now. That he's going to be lifted up and exalted and made Lord of the entire universe. And Jesus is saying both of those things, me being lifted up on the cross and then me being lifted up from death forever and ascending to be with the Father, that those things, That taking place is what is going to make spiritual life in you possible and what's going to make spiritual life in you happen. Because if it's just left up to you, you guys are toast. You are done. You are unable. You are powerless. But what I am going to do is going to do away with your old sinful self and it's going to give you spiritual life that lasts forever. And this is an important concept. I want to take just a moment to share uh, that some theologians have called union with Christ like being united with Him, that there is this mysterious but necessary thing that must happen in you, that must happen in me, if we're to have our old sinful self done away with and be given spiritual life. Because we are sinful, we are powerless, we are spiritually dead. But Christ, he is the, he, if, if we are united with Him, think about what can take place. If we are joined with Him, it means that when He went to the cross, when he was lifted up on the cross, my sin was counted to him. It was transferred to him, and he was crushed for it already. It was removed from me and placed upon him. That's why Paul, when he's writing the New Testament, can say stuff that sounds weird to us, but say like in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. If you're to be born again, if you're to have spiritual life, in you, it means your sinful self must be put to death. And if you're united with Jesus, if you're bounded with him, that means that's already happened. Your sinful self has been laid down in the grave, it's been put to death. And if you're joined with Christ, think about the flip side of this, the eternal life that was given to him, that started that Sunday morning many, many, many years ago, that will never end. That eternal life can now be given to you. And shared with you. And you can be made into that new person. That that loves the Lord. And that that longs for him. And we must be united with him. And have our sins put to death in him on the cross. And have his life that he was given that Easter Sunday given to us in return. That is how new birth happens in us. Is that we're united with Jesus. You are not born again just by doing good stuff and by coming to church and putting money in an offering plate and reading your Bible. That does nothing to give you a new birth. But being united with Christ and having his work applied to you, that is when new life will come to you. That is how it comes to you. And so praise the Lord that 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 work has been done for us, that that, that what we were incapable of doing, God can do for us and in us because he applies the work of Jesus to us. The last thing I want to say is not just what has been done for us by Christ. That's the core of what I want to get across. But I want to end by pointing out what can be done by us. Like, we're, we're, we can't bring this life about in ourselves, but I think you get a hint, even from verse 15, of what response Jesus does call for in us. Like, because we could sit by and say, well, man, I can't do anything to bring about life in me. Jesus has done this work, but I can't, I mean, I hope he applies it to me. I hope that I receive those benefits, but what's a man to do? What's a woman to do? And just kind of sit on our hands, like I'm powerless to do anything. I want you to stop for a minute, like trying to peek behind the curtain of how God operates and how he changes, and just look straightforwardly at what Jesus says you should do. He says that the Son of Man must be lifted up, and then verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's, don't worry as much about what God's going to do and not going to do. Respond to what Jesus calls you to do. He calls you to believe in him. And it's not just to believe that, yeah, he's a good guy. He's the son of God. He's a teacher. Nicodemus, it seems like, was starting to believe that. But w- that's not what he's after when he says to believe in him. To believe in him is to put all your trust in him. is to put all of your confidence and your hope in him. That what he did as he was raised up on the cross, and as he was raised up from the dead, that that work can bring you into the kingdom of God. And say, I'm putting all my eggs in Jesus' basket. Like I am unworthy, sinful, disobedient, but he is the opposite of all of that. And he's died for me and been raised for me. I'm putting my trust in him. I'm believing in him. I'm putting all my hope in him. That is what Jesus says you can do as you hear this good news, that you are called to believe upon him, to put your trust in him. I would ask you today, have you, every single one of you, I seriously want you to think about this, is have you been born again? And I ask that with the weightiness of eternity on my, have you been born again? Like Jesus said here, you must be born again if you're to enter the kingdom of God. And I promise you, in a room this size, there are many of you who haven't. And what that means is that judgment is awaiting you and that you are spiritually dead. And Christ calls out to you, believe on me. Put your trust in me and I will give you life. I will share that with you and I would call you today to put your trust in him and he will breathe life into you. And that would be a sign he already even has. That he's breathed life into you as you think about his son Jesus. And so if you have not been born again, I would urge you to believe upon Christ today to turn from your sins. But if you have, if you would answer that, yes, I have been born again, Uh, I would want you along with me to revel in that this morning. That that is a miracle of God that you have been born again. Like these kids who grew up in church, that is a miracle of God that they are spiritually alive. Like I don't care if you have a boring testimony like I sometimes think that I do. If you are a believer in Christ, it means that God took what was spiritually dead in you and breathed eternal life into your soul. Like, and that ought to thrill you, that ought to, to humble you, that ought to produce awe in you. But we sometimes just, really, we just think it's sort of this natural process. I grew up in the church, of course, like after kind of, you put me in the microwave of church and like after 12 minutes, I come to faith. That That's, that's not something we produce in ourselves. Like if you've been born again, it means the Spirit of God worked a miracle in your life that you will be grateful for for eternity, and it ought to be—you ought to be grateful for it now. I want us to think if we have been born again of how desperately other people need that to happen in their life as well. Whether it's our kids, our coworkers. Our neighbors, our roommates in our dorm, whether it's family members, whether it's people around in the nations that we send people out to around the world. There are billions of people on our planet who are spiritually dead. Like there are thousands of people in our city who are spiritually dead who are walking around with physical life and maybe thinking that they're okay with the Lord, but they are spiritually dead on the inside and they need to hear about the one who was put to death for them and that was raised to life for them and they need to be called to believe. They need the spirit of God to breathe life into them as well. And parents, I would want to urge you, I've thought about this a lot this week, when it comes to your children, this teaching of the need for the new birth and how the lord must do that the spirit of god must do that could should lead you to prayerfulness that is deep for your kids like we think sometimes if i just teach them the bible enough if i just kind of uh consistently discipline them if i keep them in church if we do x y and z that it's just a matter of time until they come to faith and that is not true Like the Spirit of God must breathe life into them. And if he's not done that yet, it's not up to you to just manufacture enough good advice to them and to cry enough tears in front of them about Christ. Like the Spirit of God must breathe life into them and beg him to do it. Like he he longs to do it. We know from other texts to give life. Ask him to do it. We ought to have a deeper aim than just raising kids who know the Bible and who uh, obey their parents and who live morally good lives. We should want to see people who have spiritual life in them. In keeping with this wind analogy, I think sometimes we think of our kids or other people that we're sharing the gospel with almost more like a motorboat instead of a sailboat. Like we think if I just do the right things and I drop this motor in and I need to get them to where I can go, I can steer it and I can make sure that I get it there. But it's more like a sailboat that if they're to move, if they're to have life, if they're to have eternal life for sure, the spirit of God must blow in their life. He must come into their life and change their heart. And we ought to beg him to do it. I'll end by saying this. Uh, This is not original to me, but I've heard many people say something to this effect before, that every single human being will experience one of two things. You'll either experience second birth, being born again, or you will experience a second death. Like John talks about that in the book of Revelation. He talks about how, yes, physical death is awful, but there is judgment that is looming for us as human beings if we're not born again. Being shut out of the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about here is not just, oh, I missed out on that. Like the flip side of that is that you are receiving judgment for eternity that is awful for your sins. That's what John calls the second death that will last for eternity. And if you are not born again, that is awaiting you. So you will either receive and experience the second birth that the Spirit of God will work in you, or you will receive a second death last for eternity we are all eternal beings who will either live in eternity in the kingdom of christ or an eternity of judgment and hell away from him and i just want that to sit upon us not in a scared sense but in a joyful sense if we've been the recipients of this eternal life but also with a sober sense as we look around at people who are are awaiting judgment if the spirit of god doesn't work in them and we be people who take this good news of christ and this one who's been lifted up Uh, that can breathe life by His Holy Spirit into their soul.